Amen. Well, good morning. Please be seated. I have one last quick announcement real quickly as you're getting situated and getting your Bibles out. Uh, again, VBS this week, a fantastic blessing. Thank you all so much who were involved in that, not only in all of the, the labor, because so many of you worked so many hours and, and poured your hearts into this, but so many of you were praying, and the prayers God heard and he answered, and it truly was a blessing. want to make you aware of another camp for the kids that is coming up uh, it's July 18th through the 22nd, and if you were here last summer, um, you'll know that we had a had a, a camp. It, it, it's around um, uh, it, at the end of the week. They put on a drama, a play, a musical, and uh, Pastor Jeff Talley and his wife Tess from Wellspring Church here in town are the ones that actually put it on and sponsor it. They've just asked if they could use our facility for the week, and we've we opened it up last year and are pleased to do that again this year. And throughout the week. The campers receive daily training on singing, acting, choreography, as well as uh, play, improv, theater, and all of these different types of things. And at the end of the week, they put on this production, and it's Friday night. We'll give you information about that, the Friday night production that they put on. But this, this uh, year's theme is Malice in the Palace, the story of Esther. So if, you are, if you're thinking that your kids might be uh, blessed by that, or you'd like to just get more information, or perhaps you might want to volunteer and help out for that. There's information, there's a flyer at the, um, at the information table, so grab that on your way out. Well, open your Bibles, please, to Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, we continue our look again as we study through the book of Acts, the story of the early church. We left off last week with our friends, the disciples, uh, in, uh, under, under arrest, if you would, again for the second time for proclaiming the gospel. They were arrested the first time after healing. You know, Peter spoke, and, uh, the, the, and the man that was begging that had been lame since birth, Jesus, or Peter said, I don't have money to give you, but what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And this man who'd never walked in 40 years gets up and walks and leaps and praising the Lord. And they were proclaiming Jesus. Peter said, why are you looking at us? We didn't do this. It's, it's in the name of Jesus, this man walks. And he started proclaiming the forgiveness of sins through the resurrected Lord Jesus. And the religious leaders didn't like that. They brought him in, said, said, what are you doing? They proclaimed the truth again to them and they realize there's nothing that we can do about this. This miracle took place. We can't deny it. Everybody sees it. So they said, don't you talk about Jesus anymore, and they let him go. Well, they didn't listen. <laughs> they continued to proclaim Jesus. They said, what are we going to do? We, we can't stop proclaiming the truth about Jesus. So they do that more and more, and they're brought under arrest again, and that's where we find them now standing in front of this council. The council includes the Pharisees, Sadducees, the Sanhedrin, the 70 religious leaders. This is a huge group of religious leaders trying to intimidate them and stop them from what they are doing. And Peter proclaims in verses 30 through 32, we looked at this in closing last week, that, that the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, sent his only son, Jesus, and you crucified him. But God raised him, and he raised him, and now he is at the right hand of God in power, and he's given us the opportunity to repent and to receive the forgiveness of our sins. And, you know, you would, you would hope, and I know Peter's reaction, their hope, was that their reaction would be, you mean God loved me that much? 
that he would send his only son to die for me and whoever would receive that gift could have everlasting life, have all of their sins truly forgiven? No doubt that was Peter's hope that they would, they would, they would come, to, come under conviction that way. And we know that's God's heart. God tells us in his word that he doesn't desire any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But unfortunately, that's not the reaction. As we see in verse 33, but when they heard this, they were cut to the quick and intended to kill them. <laughs> they heard the message. They heard it not just in their ears, but it penetrated. This, was, this, this word that's used here, cut to the quick, speaks of an internal violent reaction. It speaks of a, a tearing in two. They're, I mean, their insides are, are coming undone here. There's a, a spiritual confrontation taking place. They come under conviction of the Holy Spirit. And right there, everyone has that opportunity to make a choice. We either, we either come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, repent of our sins, receive the forgiveness that is freely available to us, or this other path that they take, this inward retaliation that is manifested in the fact they become enraged to the point where they said, kill them, let's kill them. And they, they're in this frenzy. But we see in verse 34, it says, a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, respected by all the people, stood up in the council and gave orders to put the men outside for a short time. So this man Gamaliel stands up and says, hey, hang on guys, put him, put him outside for a minute. Gamaliel, it tells us here that he was a teacher of the law. Now he was a teacher in, and he had a school, if you would, and one of his students we're going to study a lot about in the book of Acts, Saul of Tarsus, who would become Paul, was a student in Gamaliel's school. Nicodemus was a teacher in that school. Nicodemus, that Nicodemus, John chapter 3, where he came to Jesus at night, and Jesus told him, you must be born again. That Nicodemus was a teacher in this school. It tells us, respected by all people, respected by all. You've heard the term rabbi, and that means teacher or master. Rabboni means my teacher, individually, personally, or master. But the term rabban in the Mishnah, it means, it's used there in the Mishnah to speak of Gamaliel. It means our master or teacher. That's how respected he was. As a matter of fact, written in the Mishnah, it says, when Rabban Gamaliel died, the glory of the law ceased and the purity and abstinence died. That's how respected this man was. And he stands up in the midst of all of these people, all of these other leaders, and he says this, verse 35, men of Israel, take care what you propose to do with these men. For some time ago, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a group of about 400 men joined up with him. But he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After this man, Judas of Galilee rose up in the days of the census and drew away some people after him. He too perished, and all those who followed him were scattered. So, in the present case, I say to you, stay away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or action is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. Or else you may even be found fighting against God. He says, take care. Guys, listen up. Hear me. 
consider the consequences of what will take place if you kill them. I know you know that there are thousands of people that are following them and hearing their message. And if we kill them, we're going to have a riot on our hands. And then he goes and he gives a couple of case studies, if you would, a couple of examples of men who, who rose up, people followed after them, but then they died and the people scattered. And he gives this example, and I think it's interesting when we look at this and we see the first one, Theudas. That, that name means God-given. The other one, Judas, his name means he shall be praised. Guys, those should be always red flags whenever we see that in anyone who is proclaiming to be, represent God. First of all, again, Theudas meaning God-given. Beware of anybody who thinks he's God's gift to the church. Beware of anyone who, who, as the Judas, he shall be praised, starts taking praise and acclamation upon himself. Guys, this is all a work of God. And I love that about Peter, and we saw that right away. We saw that immediately after he healed that man. He said, why are you looking at us like this is something we did? This is, so, this is all glory goes to God. And there are so many, so many that take the glory onto themselves. That, that international ministries named after themselves. Guys, <laughs> this is all about God. This is all about the power of the Lord Jesus. And the, Paul, Paul tells us, he, he chooses those of no reputation. He chooses those who are not wise in the world standards. We, you know, the, the one that God wants to use is the one that says, Lord, I have nothing to offer except just a surrendered life. God says, I can use that. Beware of those, but these rose up. They were, they were killed off, no doubt the Romans, killed in, in, in an insurrection, however, killed, and this followers scattered. And Gamaliel says, guys, if this is like that, Jesus, Jesus dead, Jesus executed, we, we, we put him to death on the cross, if he's still dead, basically is what he's saying, we have nothing to worry about. Because if it's a man that's doing this, this plan will fail. But if it's God, if it's God that's truly behind this, guys, we don't stand a chance. We can't stand up against this. And I don't know, I, don't, I can't get into Gamaliel's head here. I don't know his angle I don't know exactly what emphasis he was placing on that, if that was truly what he was thinking. I have reason to believe that. I mentioned that Nicodemus was, was an instructor in his school. But tradition also tells us that Nicodemus and Gamaliel were close friends. And after Nicodemus was kicked out of the, of the, the high priestly, or, or not high priestly, but the Pharisees, Pharisaical order, when he, after he was kicked out because... He went with Joseph of Arimathea, took Jesus' body off the cross and washed it and wrapped it and placed it in the tomb. He became a believer in Jesus. And he was thrown out then. Tradition says Gamaliel took him into his home. I wonder, I, I, I can't help but wonder that Nicodemus told Gamaliel, you're not going to believe what he said. You're not going to believe what he told me. He said that I have to be born again. You have to be born again. 
and that, 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 that thought in and of itself you can put to the side, except Gamaliel, listen to me. I put the body in the tomb. I put it there. And three days later, it was gone. He's risen. And no doubt that has to be going through this. And, and, and when we look at this and he's saying, guys, if, that, if this is true, we don't have a chance. And guys, bottom line, as believers, because it's true, we win. Because it's true, no weapon formed against us will prosper. Because it's true, as Paul wrote, what, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Because it is true. Because it is true. Now, I want to, I got to jump off the road here a little bit. We're going to take a little detour. I don't normally do this, but something the Lord has really just laid it on my heart this week. It says there, again, if God is for us, who could be against us? Guys, we have to understand what that means. We are at war. But the Bible is clear that we do not fight against flesh and blood, but against spiritual forces of evil. We do not fight against flesh and blood. If God is for us, who could be against us? Unfortunately, many in the church take that as a battle cry and make it us versus them. It can't be that way. It's not us versus them, flesh and blood. It's us versus them, spiritual battle. And what, am I, what is my main point in this? Guys, my, my heart grieves this week over what happened last Sunday morning. When an Islamic terrorist walked into a gay bar at some time in the morning and killed 49 people and injured 50 others. That grieves my heart. And what, you know what grieves my heart as much or more is there are pastors this week who in, stand up in a pulpit in the name of Jesus, one of them in California and one of them here in Arizona that said the tragedy of last Sunday morning is that more of them weren't killed. That burns me. That you can have your opinion, but do not represent my Lord and Savior that way. <laughs> Guys, here, here's the deal. Again, when we take a stand like that, when we say something like that, it tarnishes Jesus' name and it tarnishes the church. It, 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 makes, it makes our job that we are called to do to go and make disciples of all nations that much harder. First Corinthians chapter six says this, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. That's in the word. It says it. But it does not say they're our enemy. I have a question to ask those, those pastors. They said the shame is that, that more of them weren't killed. Would they have the same reaction if that man would have walked into a, a straight bar and killed a bunch of drunk people? Because it says drunkards in here too. 
Would, he, would they have the same reaction if they would have walked into a straight bar and killed everybody that was in the bar that, that was, had a desire to fornicate afterwards or commit adultery that night? Would they have had the same reaction? I don't think so. And guys, when we, when we look at this verse here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we can't stop at verse 10. Verse 11 says, such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the spirit of our God. You were washed. You were just like them. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified. And before you start getting all high and mighty on yourself, it's by grace you were saved through faith, not of your own works, lest any man should boast. Guys, our hearts should be broken over what happened last Sunday. 49 people were, were executed. And guys, this isn't about execution. That's not our role. Our role isn't execution. Our role is extraction. Jesus said, when Peter made the proclamation that, that, that you are the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus said, on that statement, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to stand against it. The gates of hell. Guys, those 49 were on the other side of the gates along with many others, the gates of hell. And our job is to break down those gates and get rescue the prisoners of war. Not kill them, get them out. Sorry, I'm a little fired up about that, but. <laughs> Guys, it's not about wasting them. It's about washing them. And we've, I've, made, I've said this before, I've heard this before. It's so true. Guys, we can't clean the fish until we catch them. And we have to bring the word of truth to them. I'll tell you something that flew under the radar last week. Last Sunday, you know, you, you remember a couple years ago, Chick-fil-A? They came out in supporting the biblical view of, of marriage. One man, one woman, till death do they part. And guys, I'm not speaking against that. that we have to stand on that truth. That is the, that's what the Bible says. We stand on that truth. And you remember the reaction from the, the LGBT community? They called for a boycott of Chick-fil-A. I mean, they looked at them as the enemy and come against them simply because they stood on the biblical value of marriage. You remember that? You know what happened last Sunday? Chick-fil-A closed every Sunday, except last Sunday, in Orlando, Florida. They went in, they opened their doors, they made biscuits and, and, and sausage and brought drinks and tea and everything to, to the area to give, to give food to those giving blood, to minister to those who were mourning the grief of the lost. They, they did that. They didn't want publicity. News people were coming. Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? Because we love them. Because we love them. All right, back on the road. <laughs> Bottom line, Gamaliel says, if the plan is of man, it will fail. But it's a, if it's of God, we can't stop it. Verse 40, they took his advice and after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and then released them. So it, they went on their way from the presence of the council rejoicing 
that they had been considered worthy to suffer the shame for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. <laughs> they bring him and say, okay, all right, we'll listen to you. We won't kill him. So they bring him in and they flog them. Now that is not, don't, don't confuse that. That's not the same what Jesus went through, the scourging. A flogging is something that they did that, that actually outlined in Deuteronomy chapter 25 as a punishment that could be inflicted there in the, in the, in the temple courts. Could be in, and it was meant to, as discipline not to, not, uh, not to degrade the person. No doubt that's what they wanted to do here. But as a warning, sending them out, Jesus warned that it would happen. He told them, I'm sending you out as sheep amongst wolves, and this is going to take place. This very incident, that, the, that you will be brought before them, and they will, they'll whip you in their presence. But notice, notice their reaction. They went away from their presence rejoicing. They're rejoicing on the way out after being scolded, beaten, and kicked out saying, don't you do this, threaten some more. They leave rejoicing. I got to think some of those guys are going, man, we're just not getting through to these guys. <laughs> rejoicing. Now, huge difference between joy and happiness. Joy is a condition that we have. Happiness is a momentary emotion. They were rejoicing. They're not masochists. They didn't enjoy the whipping. That's not what it says. But they were rejoicing. Just like Paul, who wrote the, the book of Philippians, the letter to the Philippian church, he wrote that while he was in jail. And 16 times in that short, that short little letter, he uses the word joy or rejoicing. One instance, Philippians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord, and that's the key, in the Lord, to write the same things again to you is no trouble for me, and it is a safeguard for you. They were rejoicing. Paul said, rejoice in the Lord. They were rejoicing because they had been considered worthy. Worthy. Do you ever look at persecution that way? That we'd be considered worthy? to be persecuted, that they, were, they considered themselves worthy. They understood it. They got it. They believed in what Jesus promised in Luke chapter 6. Blessed are you when men hate you and ostracize you and insult you and scorn your name as evil for the sake of the Son of Man. Be glad in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For in the same way their fathers used to treat the prophets, they looked past the suffering to the reward that's coming. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's to be revealed to us. Can't even compare the two. And Peter in 1 Peter chapter 4 tells us in outline that, that, that it's, it's because again by the grace of God being filled with the Spirit we can walk through this persecution with joy. Again, a gift. It's not natural, guys. It's not natural to be persecuted, to be put down, to be insulted, to do that and walk away joyful. That's not natural. It's a supernatural thing. And they walk away joyful and notice, verse 42, and I love this, every day, every day, in the temple, house to house, they kept right on preaching and teaching. <laughs> they said, don't ever do it again. And they went out and every day they did it. 
civil disobedience, if you would. <laughs> we talk, we've talked of this a little the last couple of weeks. We are to submit ourselves to every authority that's placed over us, every government authority. We are to obey the laws of the land unless those laws come in direct conflict with the laws that God teaches us. That God tells us we are not to do something that God tells us not to do because it's the law of the land and vice versa. But notice, notice, here's an outline for biblical civil disobedience. They do not mobilize a march onto the Sanhedrin to make Christianity legal. They teach and they preach. They teach instruction, sharing biblical truths with the believers, encouraging them, exhorting them, and they preach the good news of the gospel. Realizing that you can't legislate morality, you can't Clean the fish before you catch them. Teach them the truth. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them that they can have forgiveness of their sins if they repent and turn their lives over to Jesus. They went right on day after day in temples, house to house. Without the New Testament, I might add, using the Old Testament as their story, pointing everything to Jesus. Can you imagine some of those first messages and how it must have just totally blown the minds of the people that are hearing it because they had studied the Torah and the prophets and the Psalms and all of those things and then to hear how Jesus fulfills it all I mean I'd have loved to have been there the first time Peter shared the truth that on this very on this very spot right here on this mountain where Jesus was crucified this is where Abraham was going to offer Isaac and God said and he stopped him right beforehand he said I will provide myself a lamb for the sacrifice that lamb was Jesus and they're like Isaiah 53, they'd studied this throughout all of their school growing up, and now Jesus is the fulfillment of that, and it keeps on spreading. The church keeps on growing. As we see now when we move to chapter 6, verse 1, now at this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, the disciples, those true born-again believers, the church growing exponentially, a complaint rose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews. Those were Jews, descendants, Jews, they had Jewish nationality, but Hellenistic means they spoke Greek as their primary language, against the native Hebrews. Again, Jews, but who spoke Hebrew as their native language, or Aramaic. Because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. So again, this massive thousands of people have come together in this one congregation. And, and we've talked about how their needs were being met because they would, people would hear of needs and they'd sell their belongings and they'd provide for those needs. And as it's being distributed, there's a problem that's rising up. So the 12, verse 2, summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. To this point, the disciples, the apostles, were handling it all. They were, they were studying the word. They were sharing the word. They were praying with people as the needs came up. And as the, the money came in and the goods came in and the food came in, they were overseeing the distribution of it all. And they're saying, we can't keep up with all of this. Therefore, brethren... Select from among you seven men of good rep reputation, full of the spirit and wisdom, whom we, be, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The statement found approval with the whole congregation, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, 
and Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these they brought before the apostles, and after praying, they laid their hands on them. Again, this, the church begins to grow, and it's continuing to grow. And now this problem starts to arise, and people are saying, hey, we're being overlooked. And, and it wasn't, it, obviously, it wasn't on purpose. And it might have been even a misconception. It might have been even that they, they missed that, but that's what they were truly feeling. And, they, and right here, guys, we have all the makings of the first church split. All of a sudden now we could say, okay, well, this group over here and start drawing over here, we're, we're feeling left out, we're feeling neglected, we're feeling like we're not part of it. And then this group over here, I mean, all of it's right here. And no doubt, I'm, I imagine Satan's right in the middle of saying, yeah, let's stir this thing up a little bit. Let's poke, 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 poke. But we see a great biblical outline of how we are to handle this. We see here that somebody felt that they had been slighted or felt that there was a problem, and they made the problem known. They didn't continue to go on and complain and get a faction and start breaking away. They didn't leave the church. They didn't anything else. They just said, hey, I just want to let you know, we're feeling a little left out. We're feeling a little neglected. And the response was, ah, get over yourself. It wasn't. It was, hey, how, how can we address this issue then? Let, let's, let's come together and let's work on this. Again, as they lay this all out, the, it says the disciples, the whole group was involved in the process. The, the disciples said, guys, we can't do it all. It was hard enough when it was just the 12 of us. <laughs> it's a whole lot harder now when there's thousands of us. So, so they, they appoint what would later become known in the role of deacons in the church, those doing, doing the, 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 the hands-on ministry, if you would, of the church. And they said, and we're going to devote ourselves primarily to, the, to studying the word, praying, and sharing the word. Now, that doesn't mean that the apostles now are above anything else. No, they probably continued on, and we'll see examples of that as we continue to go, to be involved in the needs and it doesn't mean that the deacons never, never teach and never involved in, in that type of ministry either. We're going to see examples of that in the next couple of chapters. We're going to see Stephen in the next chapter and a half as we finish chapter 6 and chapter 7 and Philip in chapter 8 being used in ministry outside of the hands-on ministry. But we're talking about primary roles, the roles that they filled primarily within the church. And, and, and we see as everybody embraces this, church split avoided. And everybody is blessed as it moves forward. And it's, this is just a great model that we can look at even as, as the church now. I have to tell you, Calvary Chapel Surprise is way bigger than I ever thought it would be. There's a whole lot more ministry and things going on at Calvary Chapel Surprise than I ever thought could happen, and quite honestly, than I could keep up with. People come up to me all the time and say, what time is this? And what's going on this? And I heard about this. And, I go, and I'm like, I'm the worst person you can ask about that. <laughs> I, I use the church app probably more than anyone. I, you know, I don't know when that is. Hang on and, and look it up. And, and the, the, quite, the, 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 the ministry of the body is done by the body. We minister to one another. Guys, we should all be deaconing, every one of us. As we, hear about, as we hear about needs, 
We help one another meet those needs. If you, if, if you feel slighted, if you feel offended, if you feel left out, let us know. But then be ready to be a part of the solution. Because way too often, that's where it stops, is with the complaint. And let me just let you in on a little secret. <laughs> Complaining is not a spiritual gift. <laughs> Self-control is. But we're all part of the solution. That's, I, that's what I love about this picture. Everybody embraces it. Nobody denies it. Nobody pushes it away. Understand that, that there are times when things are going to happen, that people are going to feel, okay, that feel left out or feel slighted. It's not intentional, but it happens. And then we come together on how we fix it. And again, no doubt the enemy was just saying, oh, this is perfect. This is perfect. The church is only a few months old, and we're going to blow this thing up right away. But it doesn't. Instead of a church split, look what happens. Verse 7, the word of God kept on spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Notice the subject of what's being discussed here, the word of God. The word of God kept spreading. The word of God kept going out. Guys, God himself makes preaching the gospel effective. We simply share the word. We just simply do it. God takes it from there. He's the one who makes it effective. He alone causes people to come to the faith. He alone causes the church to grow, really grow. Not just in volume of numbers, in depth. He's the one who does that. He's the one who said that his word will not return void. His word will not come back to him without accomplishing everything that he sends it forth to do. And the, as that is doing, and as they're obedient, and as they continue to follow his direction and his lead for his church, it continues to grow and continues to increase. And notice, a great many, of, great many priests became obedient. Priests the one descendants of Levi, the ones who are doing the work of the ministry in the temple day after day, the sacrifices and all of that, a great many priests coming to faith, no doubt hearing again that Jesus is the fulfillment of that sacrificial system. Jesus, it was his blood that was shed, the perfect lamb of God. All these lambs that you inspect day after day, you don't find a blemish because you're not looking hard enough. None of them are perfect. The perfect lamb, the son of God, he died, he shed his blood, and that's the only way to have your sins forgiven. Them coming under conviction of that, and it says many, many came to faith. No doubt, too, a couple of them standing in the temple when Jesus said it is finished and the veil torn from top to bottom, that'll get your attention. Sharing that truth the Holy of Holies, right there, and we saw it, and we didn't die. It's right there. We see a contrast between these priests and the religious leaders that we began looking at in verse 33. Again, the choice is given. The gospel is presented. The truth of the gospel, that we are all sinners, that we all fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Jesus, God himself, stepped out of heaven, lived a perfect, sinless life. 
And he gave that life in exchange for ours on the cross. There's no other way to have your sins forgiven. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The only way that we can is to confess our sins, repent, turn from our sinful life, and receive the free gift of salvation. That's the only way. If you've never done that, you face the same choice as them. You can resist it. You can reject it. You can push it away, harden your heart, even become angry and bitter, or as the priests did, receive it, and receive it with joy, knowing your sins are forgiven, completely paid in full, but the choice is yours. If you've never done that, if you've never given your life to Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity right now, and you just respond to the Holy Spirit in your heart, so would you please pray with me? If that is you, you go before God right now in your heart, and you say, God, I'm a sinner, and I know I need a Savior. Jesus, I believe you're that Savior. I believe that you died for me. I believe that you took my place, that you suffered and died for me. So right now, I ask you to come into my life. I turn from my sin, and I turn to you. Would you give me that gift? Would you come into my life right now, wash away my sin, all of it, and give me eternal life? that I will know that I will be in heaven forever because of your gift, because of your grace. Lord, we thank you for that work in all of us. And Lord, we, as your true church, as part of your body, Lord, we ask that you would break our hearts for what breaks your heart. Lord, let us see with your eyes. Let us see the lost as you see them. Let us feel with your heart. Lord, let us understand that truth that they are not our enemy. The individual is not our enemy. The one who holds them captive is our enemy. And we have the cure. And it's you. Lord, we want to shine your love in this dark world. We don't change the message. We don't water down the truth that sin will be judged. But Lord, we have the truth that you took the judgment on yourself. Give us boldness. Give us opportunity. Lord, as they see your love through us, we pray for a great harvest in this time. Lord, we want to be a church where your word keeps spreading. Your word. And that's done, Lord, both vocally as we share it verbally, but Lord, it's also done in action as we live out your word. Thank you. Thank you for entrusting us with that that work and for empowering us to do it in jesus name amen would you please stand sing 
sing again a couple songs now in response to our great king this morning. And if you need prayer for any reason, we'd love to pray with you. We'll have pastors and elders up front. If you prayed this morning to receive Jesus into your life, we would love to pray with you and give you some information as well. So please come forward as we sing. Let's worship. Let's worship.